Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's always a surreal privilege and a pleasure to be here at Doolin's Grove. I just really uh, appreciate Matt uh, asking me and you letting him ask me. <laughs> so it really is just, a, again, I count it an honor and a privilege to be here. So, so thank you so much. Um, I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to John's Gospel, to the fourth chapter. I want to talk this morning about something that I've been thinking a lot about recently for whatever reason, and and that's really the subject of worship and what it means and what it should look like and how how we should worship. And um, so I want us to look at what I think is a significant passage dealing with worship in the New Testament. So again, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, I'd like to invite you, if you are able, to please stand as we read from the Word of God. I'm going to begin reading in verse 20. It says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through it. And so now, Father, I pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand and believe. Father, I would pray that this morning I would be neither seen nor heard, but that your word would be heard clearly, that you would correct me where necessary. And help us today, Father, to understand what it means to worship you in a way that is pleasing to you, that honors you, and brings you glory. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an interesting thing, worship. We as human beings are designed to worship. We're wired to worship, it would seem, because no matter where you go in the world, no matter where you've been throughout history, people worship something. Paul tells us that in Romans 1. He says that everybody worships. Everybody worships something. The question is, what is it you're going to worship? And that really is kind of the two big questions that we face in the church today is, is who or what will we worship? And then the second question is, will we do it in the right way? Now, I think in the church today, when we hear that word worship, we, we, we kind of define it in a very narrow sense, and that's the sense of music. When we talk about, because when, when you leave, you say, well, is the worship good today, or the worship was particularly you know, good today, or bad today, or whatever. Typically, what we mean when we say that is we, we limit it to the music. How was the music today? But worship is much more than music. You know, it's, it's been decades now, and, and I would even maybe argue since the beginning of the church almost in a lot of ways that we've had what is called the worship wars. 
you know, what is, what is worship supposed to look like? And it, it often centers on music, whether it should be traditional and hymn or more contemporary or upbeat or whatever. But, you know, it, it's even more than that, even in the worship wars that, that we've seen in the church in America in the last few decades. You know, it's, it is about music, but it's also about, you know, what do people wear to church? What time do you have church? What day do you have church? Well, is it, is it very liturgical, you know, very structured, or is it very loose and just kind of... Uh, just go with the flow kind of thing. And so there's all these different elements that address worship. And one of the problems, the reason that happens so often is, unlike the Old Testament, which prescribed worship in a really specific way. I mean, it was just, you know, you go through the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, and it lays out this elaborate worship that is very specific. And it's supposed to be done in a particular place, particular times, in particular ways. And see, what we see in the New Testament is is different. In fact, we see very little prescription at all, very little explicit detail about what what does worship in the church look like. And and that's troubling for us because we like prescriptions. We like, give me a list, give me the steps, and I'll do it. And then we'll be happy about it. And and because the New Testament, there's uh, so much more latitude in our expressions of worship, it creates conflict for people. Jesus here, and I th- what I think is one of the, if not the key New Testament passage on worship here, deals with this issue. And the reason I think this is such a key passage on worship is you got five verses, and the word worship occurs ten times in five verses. So obviously Jesus was, had something to say about worship here. And, of course, this is part of a larger conversation that I'm just going to kind of guess that you're familiar with. That Jesus is, is going through this territory of Samaria. He meets this woman at the well. And she's an adulterous woman. She, she has some real personal issues. And she begins a, Jesus begins a conversation with her. And the conversation gets very personal, very pointed. She gets very uncomfortable by the conversation. And so she decides she's going to change the subject. And she goes to the subject, this thing that really was a dividing line between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, what happened is that in the past that the Jews in Jerusalem were conquered by the kingdom of Babylon. In Babylon, what they did was they took all, most all the people out of Israel from the surrounding communities, and they took them back into exile into Babylon. Well, eventually, the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and they, they sent the Jews back home. The people that, that the Babylonians left behind were forced to, to intermarry with the, whoever was there. You kind of take what you can get at that point. And, and then, so when the Jews came back and they started to rebuild the temple, the people who were there, the Samaritan people, they came and they said, you know, let us help you. We worship God just like you worship God. Let us help you rebuild this place and we'll worship God together. And the Jews said, nah, nah, you're half-breed. You're not real Jews. You can't worship with us. And they said, fine, rebuild your temple. We're going to go over here to Mount Gerizim and we're going to build our own temple and we're going to worship God because you guys don't know how to worship. We know how to worship. And so we're going to go worship right and you can just keep worshiping wrong. And so, again, worship wars in some ways go way back. And so it's into this conversation that Jesus speaks. And so I want us to look at, at four elements of true biblical worship that Jesus gives us here. We're going to look at the object of worship, the meaning of worship, the value of worship, and the essence of worship. 
Actually, first, we're going to look at the meaning of worship. And so notice what she says here. She says in verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. I think it's, it's worthwhile at the beginning just to, to take a minute or two and think about this word worship and what it means. The Greek word is the word proskuneo, and it really speaks to an ancient custom. Now, being Americans, this is going to be foreign to us and probably offensive to some degree, but if you've ever seen in movies that are on television or whatever, if you've ever seen royalty and you've seen a king on his throne and you see this, the... Um, a peasant, a servant of the king come up and he gets in the presence of the king and, and he just walks right up and shakes his hand, right? No, he bows, he gets on his knees and if the king is gracious, he'll hold out his hand with his ring and he'll kiss his hand. You know, it's, it's this very visceral act of, of subservience to another human being. To just humble yourself in the presence of someone who is obviously greater. That's what is, is, the, is in picture here. Is this picture of immense respect. Of immense, of immense awe for another. And that's what the word means. And that's what it's communicating. This idea of bowing. Putting yourself even prostrate on the ground before a superior being. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. How do we do this? How do we prostrate ourselves? How do we fall before God in a way that is most pleasing to Him? Now Jesus does something interesting here. He doesn't begin by saying what worship is or what worship is like. In fact, He does just the opposite. He tells what worship is not and what worship is not like. Notice what He says here in verse 21. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So the first thing Jesus says is, he says, look, lady, worship is not about a place anymore. He says, yeah, you used to worship in Jerusalem, but the time is coming. In fact, the time is now when it doesn't matter where you worship God. They were, you know, they were sitting there at this well. And right there, they were at the foot of Mount Gerizim, this place where the Samaritans worshipped and believed was the right place to worship. And, and so she's looking at that mountain and Jesus says, no, it's not there. It's not Jerusalem. Worship is not about a place. It was suddenly emancipated. Which meant God could be worshipped anywhere at any time. No longer did it have to be in Jerusalem. No longer was it at Mount Gerizim. But it could be anywhere at any time. See, I think we today in the church operate under that same false ideal. We think in order to worship God, we have to be here. We have to be in a church building. That worship is dependent upon a place in our minds. I can't worship God in my house. I can't worship God outside. You know, and it's one of the the interesting things when you go around the world. Churches look a lot different. I mean, I think Ron can speak to that. You go to Africa, a church is not likely to be a building. It's going to be a tree or an open field or wherever, wherever God's people are gathered. And so Jesus begins to say, worship is not about a place. So what we need to understand is just because you're here today, just because you're in this building, does not mean you're worshiping. 
Worship is not about a place. Your presence here does not equal worship of God. My presence here does not equal worship of God. The second thing Jesus says is worship is not about a practice. He's saying, look, all this stuff, all this stuff that's going on for you Samaritans, all this stuff that's going on for the Jews in Jerusalem, that's all going away. Those practices, these particular procedures, because these, these things that were happening in the temple of Jerusalem, they were just shadows. They were just shadows of the better thing to come, and that better thing was Jesus. That better thing was the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, look, it's not about what you do. Worship is not constrained to a ritual. You know, look, there are some people, probably not in this church, I'm sure, but who, if you deviate from the bulletin, they are convinced you have blasphemed. Okay, it's just, that is atrocious. I cannot believe we would, be, you know, deviate from the bulletin because that is God-inspired and canon. You know, you know, God forbid, let's have the sermon first. No, you know, we don't want to do that because we are so set up that worship looks like this very particular thing even today in our minds. But Jesus said, look, simply following a set pattern, simply following a set rules, even if it's something elaborate like the Jews were following, doesn't equal worship. It's not about a place. It's not about a pattern. So it's not about conformity to either one of those things. You can do all the right things and still not worship God in a way that's pleasing to Him. That's what we need to remember. In the end, worship is about giving God what He deserves. It's about nothing less than honoring Him for who He is. D.A. Carson has defined it this way, that worship is ascribing all honor and worth to God precisely because he is worthy and delightfully so. So it is into this discussion that Jesus begins to speak. And what we see him doing here is he is going to create what I would call a paradigm shift. A shift from worship being about a place, from worship being about a practice, from worship being about a prescription to worship being about principles and primarily worship being about a person. This brings us to the second point, the object of our worship. Now, it may seem obvious, but it's not always so. That the object of our worship, the object of their worship then, the object of our worship today should be God and God alone. There's no question about that. Again, it is not about a place. It is not about a practice. It is about a person, and that person is God. Part of the problem that I think that we face today is because our, our, our church life, our worship life, has become so familiar to us that we have forgotten what it is and what it is about. As one writer has written, that our God is too light our vision of the church is too low and our view of ourself is too high and consequently our worship is too shallow. We must regain a vision of the lofty concept of God. We must see God for who He is. The God of the Bible, not a God of our own making, not a God of our own imaginations or our own preferences, but God as He is represented in the Bible. The eternal, holy, triune God of all creation. That is who we need to worship. That is who we are called to worship and commanded to worship.
We need to recover that sense of the holiness and the majesty of God because He is who we are to worship. He alone is our audience. When we come here today, when we come to worship, and all that that means, and through our singing, through the preaching, through the praying, through whatever we do here, the question we need to, to ask is that, how does God feel about it? Do you ever ask that? Do you ever wonder? How does God feel about what we do in here on Sunday mornings? How does He feel about us being together and what we offer to Him as worship? Because what we do here is not for our benefit primarily. It's called to be for His benefit, His glory and His pleasure, not ours. At the end of the day, when we're done here today, when you're done here every Sunday... When I'm done at Shiloh every Sunday. If God is not pleased with what we have done, we have not worshipped. You should understand that. If He is not pleased, we have not worshipped. We have done something else. He is our audience. Now what that means to us then, because He is our audience, we are not the audience. We are not the object of worship. There's so many people who we come to church, and it's so easy. I've done it before, and so I don't want to cast aspersions at nameless people out there because I've done it myself. But it's so easy for us to come here, to come to this place for what we can get. You know, I want to go to church because I, you know, I want it to make me feel good. I want to be inspired. I want to be encouraged. I want to enjoy the worship. But if we come to church for what we can get out of the music, for what we can get out of the sermon, if we come in order to be blessed primarily, we have missed the point of worship altogether. Worship is not about us. Worship is about God. And the way that we begin to worship God, the way we begin to focus on God is to forget about ourselves. So when we come in here with our desires, our preferences, our you know, just our satisfaction being the ultimate goal, we are missing the point. It is about God's satisfaction, not our own. So true worship then will always focus people on God. It will never focus people on other people. It will always be a worshipful celebration of who He is and what He has done and what He is doing and what He will do. It's a joyful reflection of His worth and His value and His majesty. It means giving Him what He deserves and nothing less than the honor that is His by His right of who He is. So we need to focus with eyes of faith on the one who is unseen. It's so easy for us to, you know, for you to get caught up and you go, man, that that Matt Broadway, he's a great preacher. And I think Matt is a great preacher. But it's not about Matt Broadway. You know, you think, man, Jan can just kill that piano. And she's a great pianist. She's a wonderful musician. But it's not about Jan. When we begin to lose focus, we begin to talk about the people who are up here. The people who are, in essence, charged to lead all the rest of us with worship. When we start to lose focus and start to see the people... Look out, because we're not worshiping God anymore. 
The goal of the people, the goal of everyone who is in charge of, uh, of leading worship is not to focus people on themselves, but to focus people on God. To turn their attention from the people to the Heavenly Father. That is our goal. That is the goal of everyone in worship, in every aspect of worship. So... This is, a, I think, a central question for worship that we need to, do, to ask as we evaluate our worship services. Is what we are doing on Sunday mornings in our churches, is it pointing people toward God? It's a simple question, right? Is it really pointing people towards God or is it pointing people towards their own satisfaction and their own glory for what they can get? That's the question and that's what we want to ask. Since the object of our worship should be God. Second or third, I want us to see the value of worship. Let's uh, go to verse 23. It says, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God's looking for something. It says right there that God is looking for something. What is God looking for? Worshippers. He is looking for people to worship him. So worship is valuable. Why? Because God's looking for it. It's something he wants. Jesus says here that the Father is looking for authentic worshipers, for real worshipers. And there's an implication in what he's saying there. He's saying he's looking for them because they're hard to find. There are not a lot of people truly, really worshiping God rightly in a way that pleases God, in a way that's authentic. And Jesus says... You know what? God's looking for them because they're pretty rare. You know, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can ascribe God a bad character. Because we look at that and we think, man, that's awful selfish of God. Man, he's self-centered. He wants, you know, he's, he's wanting people to worship him. I mean, look, if you ever met anybody who wants people to worship him, and I'm sure you all have... They're not very nice people. You know, that's, that is not a, a characteristic that we find appealing in people. But you know what? God's not a person. He is the God of all creation. The eternal, unchanging God. He desires worship because He deserves worship. He is the only being in all of creation, in the history of creation, that has ever deserved worship. So for Him not to desire to be worshipped would actually be sinful. Because he and he alone deserves worship. To not get it would mean that he is not God. And as human beings, we're in a unique position from the rest of creation. We have a choice. We can choose whether or not, and we're the only group that gets to choose whether we want to worship God. See, we think, well, God needs us, right? He needs somebody to worship him. No, no. He's got a whole heavenly host of angels who have worshiping him, been worshiping him for a long time. He doesn't need us. You know, Matt's great and all, but they're way better singers, I'm sure. And probably better musicians. He didn't need us. And in fact, even the creation that we live in, Psalm 148 says this, for the rest of creation, worship is automatic. Listen to this. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. 
Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word. Mountains and all fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. The psalmist there is saying it is the default position of all the rest of creation to worship and praise God. Just by their mere existence, they worship and praise God. We as human beings are in a unique position that we have the privilege to choose to worship Him. We have that choice now, but a day is coming when there will no longer be a choice. Philippians makes that clear, that the day is coming that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now we all have a choice. One day there will be no choice. We will be the default position of the rest of creation, announcing God's praises. But right now we have this amazing gift. And I, and I think it is that. And I think we look at it and we think, i got to worship God. No, we get to worship God. And that's a lot different. That is an amazing gift that we have. It is an act of God's grace that He allows us to worship Him. And we must not forget that. Fourth, I want us to look at the essence of worship. Now, verse 24 is really a, a single verse that could command a sermon by itself, certainly, but probably a number of sermons. It's a very familiar passage here, I think. It says, God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, true worship must be authentic. It must come from the inner man, the spirit, reflecting the truth about God. He tells us immediately here that worship, true worship, real worship that is pleasing to God is at its very core, at its very essence, Trinitarian in nature. He says we worship the Father. We worship Him through the Son. We worship Him in the position of the Son as Jesus has adopted, as we have been adopted as His child to sit with Jesus. And we are empowered and encouraged and directed by the Holy Spirit in our worship. So at its very core, we see the Godhead at work in our worship. And so that if we were to neglect any aspect of that, we are not truly worshiping God. We come to the Father and we are able to worship Him only because of Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus that we can get there to worship Him. So all the other people in all the rest of the world who are worshiping God in their mind, at least as far as they think, if they are not coming to the Father through His Son, they are not worshiping in spirit and in truth. And today, even if we come to the Father through the Son, and our worship here, our worship wherever, is not directed and empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit, We are not worshiping in spirit and in truth. There's another aspect of this as well as we begin to think about it. Is that we worship from within. You can have the body of a worshiper and not be worshiping. You can be here 
or, you know, and look, frankly, there are people in churches all over this morning who are worshiping. And there are some of them that are a little bit more energetic than we are. You know, they're, they're doing some, they're, they're standing up and raising their hands and, uh, and singing loud and, you know, doing whatever else. And there are a lot of those people who, are, who outwardly with their bodies seem to be worshiping, but they are not because inwardly they are somewhere else. We can have the body of a worshiper and not be worshiping. And if that is all God gets is your presence here, if that is all God gets is my presence here, you know, being present at church does not count as worshiping God. Taking part in the procedures does not count as worshiping God. It is about more. He must have all of us. Unless our spirit is moved, it does not matter what our bodies do. We must be directed by the Holy Spirit. We must surrender ourselves. He says here that we must worship in truth. Now, Jesus, of course, is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, again, he speaks to his presence here and the necessity of Jesus in our worship. But there's also an aspect of truth here that we need to remember that, you know, I've heard Christians say things like this before, and I think they're well-meaning. They say, well, I don't care about theology. I don't care about, I don't really care about that. I just want Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? What's Jesus like? You know what informs that? It's the truth we find in the theology of the Bible. If we want to know the God to worship, the right God to worship, and what He is like and how we are called to worship Him, we must know the truth of Scripture. It must fill us. It must direct us. Because there are a lot of people who worship God, and the God that they worship is not the true God of the Bible. Because they are not worshiping in truth. They are worshiping a God of their own imagination or of someone else's imagination. But it is not the true God. And here's something else I don't think we always think about. But do you ever think about God being real? Do you ever think about God being present? Do you ever think about that? The beauty and the truth of worship in the Bible is, is that God is not a distant God who is out there and we are down here somehow groveling and just hoping for a little bit of his blessing in our presence. God, just give me a little something. Just throw me a bone. Just give me a breadcrumb. That's not what God promises in the Bible. God doesn't promise that he's going to throw his blessings our way. He promises that he will be present among his people. That God himself will dwell with his people. Jesus told us that. He says, lo, I am with you always. As we are gathered together with his people. As we are gathered together to worship him. We are not worshiping a distant God. We are worshiping a God who is here now, today. How would that change your worship if, if, if we came to this place with that ideal? That, you know, because, you know, you, you stand back and you think, you know, God's great, nah, 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 nah. but what happens if God really shows up? You know, when we look in the Bible and we see God show up, what, how do people react? What's up, God? No, they fall on their face. They grovel. And they are overwhelmed with his majesty and his power and his glory. 
And that's where we've got to come to, worshiping the one true God, engaging both our emotions and our minds. We've got to lose ourselves in order to find Jesus. We've got to have the right attitude as right as the right posture and behavior. We come before God in a, in a way, imagine if he's really here. Imagine the humility we would feel. Imagine the reverence we would fear, feel. Imagine the fear we would feel. Imagine the focus we would have on the one true God if he were really here. Both spirit and truth are essential for worship that is pleasing to God. That's what Jesus said. And notice what he says here in verse 24. And I just want to point this out. He says that those who worship him should worship in spirit and truth. Must worship in spirit and truth. He says if you want to worship God, if you want to worship him rightly, you must worship in both spirit and in truth. It's not just about... You know, being excited, it's about being informed. But it's not just about the right theology and being informed. It's also about being excited and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So in closing, I'd just like to offer a few suggestions for how we can become better worshipers. As we think about the object of our worship and what worship means, the value of our worship... And the essence of it. The first thing I would say is practice private daily worship. Now, again, you're going to think that's going to mean singing and praying and reading your Bibles. And I think those things are all good and true. But Romans 12.1 defines worship differently for Christians. Romans 12.1 says that we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God. Worship for a Christian is to be a way of life. Each and every day we are called to worship God. And the reason so often that we come to church on Sunday mornings and our worship is stultified because it's, it just becomes kind of blah. And we think, God, that was terrible. That was just dead. It was lifeless. You know the reason... And, and I've been there. I've done this a lot. The reason I've been to worship services a lot of times that were dead and lifeless was because I was dead and lifeless. Because throughout the week, I was not worshiping God. We cannot believe that we can ignore God through the week and not worship Him with our life and our lifestyle. That we can go and do that and just say, you know, God, I, can't, I don't have time for that this week. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to live in a way that's a sacrifice and pleasing to you. And believe that we can come in here on Sunday mornings and just flip a switch. Okay, all right. Worship God now. You can't do it. We cannot do it. It's got to be part of who we are. It has to be part of our life. The very fabric of our being. Day in and day out. Moment by moment. There are no longer sacred times and sacred spaces for a Christian. All time is sacred. All space is sacred. All time opportunities are sacred second we need to learn God's truth the truth of his word again we got to have the right information if we're going to worship rightly we got to know the God we're worshiping and the fact is a lot of us we worship God very little because we know him very poorly we don't know much about him because 
there's there's an old song. I, you know, Ron probably remembers it because it's pretty old. But there's there's a there's a you know is a song if I remember it says to know him is to love him. I think it was an old song, and uh, and that's the way it is. The more we know about God, the more we know the truth about God. You know what it's going to do? It's going to just make us love Him more and more. It's going to make Him want us to worship Him more and more. So we need to to know much of God so we can worship well. Third, ask God to create a worshipful heart in us. Ask Him to give us a heart that that worships out of sincere love, of devotion, not of obligation, not of pressure, not of dutiful obedience. Ask Him to come by the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to come into your life and say, Lord, help me surrender myself to you so that when I come, I will worship rightly. Because so often we come here in this sense of of dutiful devotion. And somehow we think that's going to please God. He wants us to want to worship Him. So we need to ask Him to help us want to worship Him. Finally, prepare for worship. Now, some of this is very practical, but be well-rested. Don't stay up till midnight or 1 o'clock on Saturday night and expect that you're going to come in here fresh with your best heart, with your best mind, because you're not. You wouldn't do that when you go to work, right? You, get, you go to bed early. i got to get up early and go to work so I can be sharp to work. And yet we believe that we're going to come in here and give God our second best as far as our, our physical selves. Don't do it. And also, another thing don't do, don't pollute yourself before you come here. And I don't mean that physically, I mean that, I mean that mentally. You know, don't on Saturday night engage in activities or engage in even entertainment or whatever that is contrary to God. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Why are they blessed? Because they will see God. To believe that we can somehow fill our hearts and our minds with things that are contrary to God and on a Saturday and come here on Sunday and worship in a way that is pleasing to Him is nonsense. We can't do it. But then, perhaps most importantly, when you come here on Sunday mornings, expect God to be here. Expect Him to be here. In each particular act of worship, remember that He is the central character. He is the object. And if our, any, and if our expectation, if we come here then with anything less than the, the, the expected presence of God, our worship will not be the worship that God desires. Expect Him to show up. Because He's here. But we just need to see it. And understand it and feel him and know it. So let's expect it. This conversation with this woman ends. And so the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to you, I who speak to you am he. It all goes back to Jesus. This woman has this conversation about how do we worship God rightly. And Jesus said, at the end of the day, she realized that we worship God rightly through Jesus Christ and through Him alone. He is the object of our worship. 
It's the object of our affection. He is the way to the Father. So let us all seek that which this woman found. To seek Jesus. To seek His way. And to understand. And to worship God in spirit and truth. In the same way that He taught. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenge it puts before us. Father, now I pray that You would humble us. Humble us in Your presence. Humble us by Your presence. By just being here in a a real and powerful way. Father, as we have failed You, as we have fallen short, please be patient with us. And we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy that You've loved us so deeply and so richly and given this, this wonderful privilege of worshiping You. And help us, Lord. Help us each and every day to grow in our knowledge of you, to grow in our worship of you, that you might be honored, that you might be pleased, that you might be praised, that you might have glory in all that we are and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.